This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here. It is Friday, September 29th, at time of recording. The Premier League weekend is going to get underway very, very soon. But Chelsea don't play until Monday against Fulham, and we're going to break down what we might be able to expect against the match where... Look, it's one of the shortest away days that Chelsea are going to have this season when it comes to where they need to get to to play the game. Been to Craven, Craven Cottage once before. It was a really, really fantastic uh, away day for uh, Nick and myself as we enjoyed some pies, enjoyed some pints. But no Nick, no Brandon to discuss this episode. It's a match preview. So, you know, we have Sam here with me as well. And Sam, we've done one of these now. We did one with the Villa match. We did not get the result right. But I do think the people came to our defense and did indicate that a lot of what we discussed in that episode was correct. And I think now what we're going to try to do is will the result to match what it is we discuss. No, absolutely. I think we did a pretty nice job sort of breaking down where the superiorities would be on the pitch and where the opportunities would be. So hopefully we'll be able to do... um, an equally good job or even better if possible um, with regards to this. I would tease the episode and say that there are some encouraging things on the horizon. So hopefully one more win to to follow up the last one and uh, hurrah for everybody. Well, we'll try to ho- help our case or help the case that Chelsea's making in terms of stacking wins on wins. Uh, you can help us stack some wins on wins, though, if you go to the Football Content Awards and vote for Chelsea's uh, Chelsea's very own, I would say, best podcast in the ecosystem of Chelsea podcast, the London's Blue podcast, for best podcast Premier League. You only need to vote just for that. You don't have to even select the categories, look at the other categories. You can go to our, the Instagram post that they have and just at London Blue Pod. That counts as a vote, too. Um, we're super, super excited. Look, there might not be a chance for Chelsea to lift silverware this season, but you can help something Chelsea-adjacent lift a trophy this season if we can get a win there there's an arsenal podcast liverpool podcast like we don't want them to win that's dumb let's just not let that happen links in the description or in the show notes and look there are also other free ways to support the podcast leave a five-star review on apple Podcasts or spotify great way to help people find the show um you can you know set up for subscriptions on youtube as well subscribe to the channel help us get to thirty thousand. hit that notify button get notified when we drop a new episode like this very one you're listening to right now be part of the solution and part not part of the problem and then look you can join us on patreon.com forward slash london blue pod to get into all the discussion in our wonderful discord but as we get into it sam the people want to know first what is going on with fulham where are they at we're going to talk a little bit about what does this style of play look like where are maybe some of the weaknesses we're going to discuss how pochettino and the team might set up to go against it and then we'll make some predictions as well at the end. So I'm just going to hand the keys to the kingdom to you to give us the introduction to how Fulham season has gotten off so far. No, I think to the perfect way to sort of summarize this would be that, you know, after six games of Premier League wilderness, we've bumped into our long lost brother on the other side of London. Uh, so they're sort of like, um, I, I would say like, despite that, their goals conceded, which is like 10 goals conceded in, in the games that they've played, six games they've played, the defense probably is the saving grace. They they tend to look a little solid individually, perhaps not as a unit. Um, but um, scoring-wise, they're, they're pretty much resembling us. You know, they've got five goals now. 
Uh, none of their top scorers has crossed one goal. Uh, Tim Ream is there, so he's a centre-back. Then you've got Andres Pereira, you've got Bobby Reed, uh, Decodova Reed, and you've got uh, Joao Palinha, who's a defensive midfielder. And then you've got Carlos Vinicius, who's their uh, second striker after Raul Jimenez. So nobody's really scoring a lot. A lot of lot of issues after they sold uh, Alexander Mitrovic, and he decided to go um, try his hand at Pastures New. So I would say that... Uh, there is an opportunity to come up against a side that is a little perplexed uh, when it comes to their front line. And um, defensively, they're leaking a lot more goals than they should. So so hopefully, we'll have uh, enough joy there. But uh, from an overall perspective, I think it looks like fertile land to to attack after a nice win. Well, that those are exciting things. And I think maybe people who haven't paid or weren't weren't paying enough attention during the transfer window. Again, Chelsea dominated some headlines, but Fulham had large sales in terms of Mitrovic as well. And I think it's rightful to call out that like he has been a massive hole that they have not been able to plug, that they have not been able to fill. I think the really, a couple of the other interesting things that like they are actually an overperform on their total expected points this season. So, I know people don't love it, but it's just a point of reference when we say they are expected based upon the XG that they would have and their expected goals allowed, the way they would have performed in their overall matches, they have been the beneficiary of some luck, unlike Chelsea at times this season, where their expected goals would be 6.6, where they have actually scored five. So they're actually a... um, underperform on their expected goals, they would have conceded 13.12. So to the point you made about their defense being a little bit better than expectation, that is true. And they have earned eight points when the expected would be 4.73. So they are actually a very nice overperform in that perspective. So I think you're also hoping that some of the luck that they're seeing, maybe it's that brotherly swap. Like we just say, you know what, we're going to bump into you and we're going to take some of that luck off your hands as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you when you were talking about the overperformance there, if we had sort of performed to our expected levels in terms of expected goal difference, expected points, we would actually be fifth just behind Arsenal. And then we actually look better on numbers than than Arsenal or Manchester United. So unfortunately, like you said, misfortune has uh, played a big part. But hopefully with, with the luck that we had against Brighton, we could have been 2-0, 3-0 down if Joao Pedro has taken his chances. But I think we came away with a little bit of luck. Ugo Chukwu could have been sent off. Um, he stayed on the pitch. And there were a couple of questionable calls. But hopefully those bigger ones that have gone against us, uh, the injuries, the suspensions, everything sort of just comes together, make sure that we can put out our best team. So I, I would say that in terms of individuals and, and, and collective performance, the difference, like you mentioned, um, the XGs, pretty much where they should be in terms of scoring. Um, they've conceded 13.1 expected goals against. So this is the third worst in the Premier League. So they're actually, uh, like you said, conceding a lot more than they've actually uh, should. They've, they've conceded 10 goals, but a lot more chances have been presented to the opposition. Uh, we talked about how their defense is individually also good. So Burnt Leno, for example, he's got a safe percentage. Not a statistic to be taken um, seriously by itself, but again, 81.1% save percentage, which is the second highest in the league after Tottenham's keeper. And um, I think Leno leads the charts with goals prevented. So he's prevented 3.7 goals. 
uh, in the Premier League, which is the highest. So he's definitely got uh, the right gloves on and he's been doing the job between the sticks. And uh, interestingly, despite their 10 goals conceded, there are, there is only one other team that has gone on to keep three clean sheets and that's Manchester City. So that tells you a lot about what we'll be coming up against. Um Another uh, nice stat that I should, found was that we, with, should we qualify the teams that they have clean sheets against though, just to maybe paint some of the picture? Like it's Crystal Palace, it's Luton, and it's Everton. I would say three teams that are going to struggle or are already struggling and showing signs of a struggle in the Premier League this season. Maybe no no more than than Luton. Obviously, Everton having a good League Cup win against Villa and uh, showing that it can be done to beat that team. But like, I guess I feel like the that element might be a little overstated in terms of like the fact that they've kept clean sheets. Like I would expect them to keep clean sheets against the signs they have. And I feel like the teams that have scored against them, the Arsenal, City, um, even Brentford, I would expect those sides to score against this team. No, to be honest, the counterpoint would be, you know, if you look at our run of fixtures, we should have definitely done something <laughs> similar in terms of three clean sheets and we haven't. So let's give credit where it's due, Dad. I think it's it's definitely like they're expected to keep clean sheets. An interesting point regarding the attack, because I just noted it now. Um, like we talked about them conceding 10 goals. So nine of them have come against and Five of them have come against Manchester City. So I would say that they're still defensively a lot better than than the numbers show as well. You know, sure. I would just take Erling Haaland's hat-trick out of the equation and say, okay, you know, they've done pretty well. They they will be expected to, to present a more robust, more compact unit against us. So so 100%, the numbers are a little deceiving for both of us, for, the, for us and for them. So hopefully that will clarify itself when we meet. Um, some other interesting stats were that they've got 56 shots, uh, 18 on target, and like the expected goals of 5.4 that we talked about. All of them are third worst in the league. Um, they've also got the second lowest chances created with 36, and only three sides have created less than their eight big chances this season. And two of them are Sheffield United uh, and Burnley, who are in the relegation zone. So that's that. And two of their five goals have come from set pieces. They've got an aerial win percentage of 51.4%, which is the eighth best in the league. And the first best in the league in terms of aerial win percentage is, interestingly, Chelsea with 64%. So Colville at left back, a move that is secretly paying off. You know, we're not seeing it on the pitch, but in terms of like, I think, taking the second shortest team in the Premier League and making them the most aerially dominant, I think... uh, Hats off to Pop, uh, Poch and, and sort of like giving him the credit where it's due. We're best in the air. We're best in the air. Chelsea Football Club, we're best in the air. Um, it'd be best to, you know, in terms of points, though. You'll never think that. <laughs> um, we, we did talk about the fixtures, but I'll just whip through them really quick. Again, they started off the season in the campaign winning 1-0 away to Everton. Then Brentford reversed it with a little bit of a 3-0 loss when they started at home with a red card on order. Then the probably most surprising of the results that they were able to obtain is maybe the two back-to-back, one against Arsenal winning, or not winning, but drawing 2-2. 
And then a 1-1 draw in the League Cup against Tottenham where they did end up winning on penalties. It was the loss to Manchester City you mentioned where they went up against the Terminator himself, losing 5-1. They did beat Luton, which I feel like a lot of clubs will be saying that this season, 1-0. And then it was a draw against Crystal Palace, their last Premier League match. And it was a 2-1 victory over Norwich in the League Cup this past week. So... Again, I think the results are a little all over the place from a league perspective. Sam, it's it's two wins, two losses, two draws. Uh, the home form, little you know, is one and one. They've played more matches away this season, at least in the league. So it's a one win, two draws, one loss. Scored five, conceded ten, and we talked about the fact that there are. It's basically a scoring committee right now for Fulham. It's not one individual replacing. Mitrovic, it's everybody having to chip in and five individual goal scorers. No one else, no one on the team has registered a second goal this season. Yeah, I think that's going to be their Achilles heel. I mean, it's, it's definitely looking like they are struggling to put things together. Uh, you know, you you tend to in, rely either on individual quality or your unit clicking together. And with Mitrovic gone, somebody who brought others into play, it just looks like they're struggling on both fronts. So um, ideally, long term speaking, I mean, in in the short term, football is too unstable to call. But I would say long term, I think it's a it's a major major issue for them. They have quality though. Carlos Vinicius is somebody that um, I followed before he came to the Premier League. He's quite good. He was at Spurs. Um, didn't get the chance obviously because he was playing behind Harry Kane, and he's pretty good. I think he grabbed a goal in the League Cup against Norwich. Um, good target man. Good finishing. It just needs to be more consistent. So Raul Jimenez, unfortunately, I think he's played all six games and, and he hasn't got a goal as yet, not really performing well. Uh, but similar in terms of the roles that they want to play. So side, I think, tactically from last season have remained interestingly the same. It's just that what they were trying last season isn't coming off this time around. Yeah, it's interesting to see that despite maybe not everything clicking, they are finding a way to get results when when needed, when called upon, which is not necessarily the way that Chelsea have performed in the entirety of the season. For those who haven't watched a game recently of Fulham, like we're gonna take a real quick break, but when we get back, I do want to get into like how have they actually been playing this season and where maybe there are some opportunities for us to exploit them. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more about Chelsea's match versus Fulham. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're bored of U.S. streaming services, why not take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and at the click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue you know, like the name of the podcast, to get a huge discount off of your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. Threat protection, they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. 
give it a try. And if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll send you a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never happened, just like Chelsea's 2022-2023 season. Check out my link at nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. NordVPN.com forward slash London is blue. All right, Sam. So when we look at the way that Fulham are playing, is it all the same as last year? Are there differences to how they're playing? It feels like, you know, it's a standard 4-3-3 type of performance. Then you mentioned the strength of defense. Like, how? what's the what's the overall story on their style of play? Um, so interestingly, I think uh, the major change has been that they've sort of moved formation a bit. So I think last season they played a lot of 4-2-3-1. This time around, they've gone for a little more balance with a third midfielder sort of giving them um, some kind of a presence in in transition going forward and also defending. So I think that's been the major change. So in every game in the Premier League, they've gone with a 4-3-3 this time. They've only used a 4-2-3-1 in the cup win against Spurs, like you mentioned earlier. So in terms of the profile with Mitrovic gone, Jimenez and Carlos Vinicius are both just target men, especially with the games that I watched, the two main games I've watched, hoping that this is the kind of strategy that they would try to employ against a similar side with Manchester City and Arsenal. So um, I did see Jimenez play both of them and it was um, more about going direct from back to front. They're extremely direct. So they tried to find the center forward. Then they've got two, the, the wingers or the attacking midfielders are very narrow. So you almost want the center forward to knock those balls down for the other two guys and then quickly go from there. It's, it's just trying to bypass pressure, bypass line. It's not like they can't play through pressure. They've got some interesting players uh, all across the pitch who are pretty much press resistant can can show a little bit of quality under strong pressure so but they, they prefer a very direct style they, they just from last season to now that hasn't changed they just want to be very vertical they want to go from back to front very very quickly um in terms of their press they go 4-3-2-1 interestingly again a very narrow kind of formation um the center forward wants to split the field and then after that the two attacking midfielders behind sort of guard the pivot. So if it's Enzo and Caicedo, they will be guarded by whoever the two guys are that are playing with Jimenez. So um, those two guys will find it a little interesting to play with with a lot of pressure behind them. Then you've got three central midfielders that effectively try to win the ball back. Uh, the main one is going to be Joao Palinha. He's, he's fantastic. We all know that his move to Manchester City broke down. Uh, not Manchester City, sorry. Bayern Munich broke down in, in the most unfortunate of circumstances. And uh, he also had a dislocated shoulder, but he's been quality throughout. So he will try to to win the ball back in the middle third. And then once they win the ball back, um, they immediately want to hit you on the counter-attack. There's no stopping. They will go back to front with long passes, try to play their quicker players in behind, and then try to grab a goal. So I think that's going to be a strategy that is going to be uh, employed against us. So we have to be very careful of losing the ball in the middle third because that's where Fulham come alive. Um, defense, like we've talked about, the goalkeeper, very, very good. The DM is very good, Joao Palina. I would say the fullbacks are also very good. Kenny Tete has been has been very good. He's carrying an injury though. Um, he will be assessed before the game. So not really sure if he features, but he's expected to be fit. And then on the other flank, you've got Anthony Robinson, the American. He's doing very well as well. So Attack-minded fullbacks, also very good in defense, tend to be very, you know, bombing up, coming back, dynamic fullbacks. So they will be there. 
Tim Ream again, somebody who's quickly becoming a, a fan favorite. He scored against Manchester City. So, um, you know, top scorer, I would say, from centre-back. So he's again somebody who will be key in defence. So that unit, that unit of Leno plus the four and Jao Palina is going to be, I think, the, the challenge for the Chelsea attack. How do you breach a nice, strong unit of the back six? And um, that's that's going to be the main question. Interestingly, when I was going through the numbers, I also figured that they are extremely strong when defending a lead. So they'll lose lose the season after going 1-0 up. They won three of their five games and they've drawn the other two. So yeah. um, if you go 1-0 down against them, there's a good chance that uh, they're going to hold on to it. They'll just definitely sit back, try to struggle and make sure that you're feeling the pressure. And, and that's the kind of opposition we've struggled against, Dan. So I think it's going to be very interesting how we break through that without Nicholas Jackson. Yeah, I think a couple of things that you keyed in on there one i i do think tim ream has always been a fan favorite of the fulham supporters so i don't necessarily know if that's a more recent thing but uh definitely someone who i think might give whomever we play at center forward a bit of a challenge i think that's going to be a very interesting thing we'll get into shortly and then when they tortoise <laughs> and or kind of just absorb themselves back into their shell I do think that that is going to cause problems if we do end up conceding against them. And I, I would worry that getting a first goal, if there are more than one or two goals in this game, that that is going to be a very, very important thing for Chelsea. It's not necessarily even like a who scores last. It's like you need to score first and force them to play a different game than what they like to play. They would prefer to score and go into shell mode. I mean, you look at the fact that the wins that they had were 1-0, 1-0 against Luton and Everton, and then uh, you know the draw against Crystal Palace as well. I think it's also interesting that uh, one William is not mentioned as well, even though he has played a couple of full 90s here for this side too, and seemingly has not had the same level of impact. Uh, but again, there's always the threat of a Chelsea, a former Chelsea player scoring against a Chelsea team when they come back or when they get an opportunity to play against Chelsea again. Yeah, absolutely. Good factors there. I mean, he. I think he scored the last time or last time last season when you yes. played against them. I mean, he definitely scored. So, um, Charity FC rolling out the red carpet, <clears throat> not to be counted out, not to be discounted. So that's something that I would be wary against. But like you mentioned, is it going to be difficult if by chance we go down? Yeah, uh, go one nil down. I would say yes, absolutely, because Palinia then starts to sort of like drop into the back line. They they go to a back five, and then they try to minimize the space that is there. Uh, like you said, Tim Ream, good defender, very good in the air. So he's definitely going to be in the box making sure that you're not getting crosses in. Uh, the other centre-back that has played with him, uh, so I think there's Diop who's played, and then there's Calvin Bassi. Those two haven't been too impressive for me uh, in the sparing minutes that I've watched in the Premier League, and I would say even against Arsenal Manchester City when I was watching them. Not really the kind of confidence <clears throat> that they, they should be radiating in a strong defensive unit. So I think if you had to exploit them, then probably that's where the, the issue is. Um, the Manchester City approach was effectively trying to um, wear them down, and I think that's something that that's I would say comes in their weaknesses. So if I would if I would talk about their weaknesses, it's they have a very high intensity style for them, and it takes a lot of energy. So they're effectively trying to press high, counter press very very quickly, 
And they also try to attack through transition. So it's a lot of long sprints into the channels, a lot of thankless running, chasing shadows. And that seems to sort of wear them down as time goes on. So interestingly, eight of the 10 goals that they've conceded have been in the second half. Um, so they do get more disorganized as they as the game progresses. So I think that may indicate that there is sort of like focus or conditioning issues later on in the game. Um, so if we do have a better chance of scoring, I would say definitely try and give them, you know, all you have, like all your firepower in the second half, because that's when they struggle um, usually. So so that would be that would be my strategy. It's almost like trying to replicate what happened from minute 46, 47 against Brighton all the way effectively to the 75th minute before some of the subs came on and we really kind of tried to go back into a high possession lockdown strategy to see the game through to the end can Pochettino get the same type of performance out of the side to replicate that level of intensity that level of absolute kukurea chaos and on top of other things that forced those players typically well conditioned well put together in terms of their patterns of play that the triangles that they formed in the pitch disrupting that and disorienting them in a way that they cannot quickly enough adapt back to the way that chelsea are coming at them it sounds like that would be some of the best ways for pochettino and the team to go out and really stress test this side against what they can do best yeah absolutely i think in terms of the goals conceded as well. So they did pretty well in the first half against Manchester City. Um, the 5-1 scoreline, I would say, is a little generous for City. Um, Fulham actually did threaten a lot in that game in the first half. But the second one, as the game wore on, like I said, it, it was just the entire defensive organization, everything in terms of their compactness in their block, how how good it looked. At times, because City were just passing it around, they were switching it trying to get Foden on the ball, trying to get Jeremy Doku on the ball, wearing your opposition down over and over again. There was this moment in, in the second half where they just froze and, and they could get back into shape properly and Manchester City just sliced through them. Like in the middle of the pitch, three passes go, uh, goes from the centre circle to uh, Julian Alvarez and then he puts in a through ball for, for Erling Haaland and boom, like just like that. In three seconds, it just looked like you know, they've fallen apart. So I think that could be something that that needs to be kept an eye on in terms of how good are their focus levels. If the changes need to reflect that, I think it'll be interesting to get a host of changes in in the 60th minute, like you mentioned, and then find a way to to overwhelm them physically and figure out if we can press them well, counter-press them, get those errors in and see if we can get something out of there. Um, also, discipline-wise, they seem to struggle. Uh, I've noted that they've got 20 yellows and they've conceded 57 fouls. So one in almost every three fouls is a yellow card. So that's definitely an issue. Oh, They're also come on, top Sam. of the red. You know, you know in a match <laughs> against Chelsea, it's going to be one out of every 10 gets called. Let's just be real about the way that the glasses have been. The, the prescriptions for the <laughs> officials who have to officiate a Chelsea match are just completely abnormal to the way that they go for every other team. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just being a neutral here. I'm just saying like, this is oh, something okay. that tends to be the trend. Um, yeah, but they've also got two red cards, which is like top of the Premier League. So they do struggle in terms of discipline. They also give away fouls in, in dangerous areas. 
I just wish we had somebody like Marcus Alonso or, you know, one of those great free kick takers. William, for example, would have been nice to score some of those dangerous free kicks. So I think that's going to be an issue. And I would probably say like that attack, like I mentioned before, it's just it just looks toothless. You know, it just looks like a 98 year old grandmother. Uh, no bite. Absolutely no bite. So it just uh, definitely feels like um, they're going to struggle to create as as long as we can just get their nine shots a game out of the way and, and make sure that they struggle to to get any confidence in. I hope, I, I pray, being an atheist, that we will be okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. Now, as we switch gears and talk about how Chelsea, or what are some of the major questions that Pochettino and Chelsea will be considering heading into this match? I think the first one that I want to just tee into is it feels like Cole Palmer has to start. You know, partially because we saw a really good performance from him in this most recent match in the League Cup, but also the way that he was working with Nico Jackson. We know Nico Jackson not available in this match due to his card accumulation, but he seemingly was a difference maker and allowed the attack to function at a better rate or function a, a what seemingly observe I observed to be a more comfortable or free-flowing attack is that a question where you're like non-negotiable he has to start or would you have a question about starting him in this match i think we don't have an option in this one to be honest considering that we are missing the center forward and i do expect raheem sterling to start at center forward i think that right slot itself opens up you know willingly for him and after the performance he put in midweek i i would say that he definitely deserves to start so I would say play him in his position and hopefully get the best out of him and give him as many minutes as he can to develop. But long term, we know that Chukumeka has come back um, to full yep. training. So he will definitely be uh, competing against him. And with the preseason minutes that Kani has behind him, I, I think like once he comes to full speed, it'll be interesting to see who drops out. Is it going to be Palmer? Is it going to be Conor Gallagher? Um, is it going to be somebody else? So I think those questions will hang heavy. But uh, for now, this game, I think Palmer will and deserves to start. Yeah, I, I think we'll find most people agree with that. But hey, if you're on a platform, unless you leave comments, you should let us know. Is Cole Palmer, does he have to start in this match? I think the question about who has to start at center forward, again, I think it writes itself. People will be asking the question about Armando Broya after getting a chance to see him come in in this midweek match as well. But to me, it feels like he's too early in what I would imagine is a ramp-up plan for him though he might be able to get maybe 20 minutes or a 30 minutes in this next outing to really get him back to the level where he could be competing for the starting position from a striker perspective. That's interesting, Dan. So let me ask you this question. There's one other player in that front four who's played center forward. Um, would you try him there? Mikhailo Mudrik. So, oh, okay. This was interesting because that was going to be my follow-up question is do you try to burn centrally with pace and let Palmer hang on the right, let... Sterling hang on the left or invert them um, and really try to see if you can just create a bit of chaos in what has seemingly been a very structured defense. And that would be something I would also be very interested in. Yeah, I think um, in, in different circumstances, I would say um, it would be a good move. But considering how often we go long with Sanchez with, with the goal kicks and, and we like having somebody at least competing for those first balls, it's going to be interesting to see if that strategy is sort of like let go of for one game and we try to, like you said, just, you know, get out our flamethrower at center forward and then say, you know, just 
don't have any tactical responsibilities. Try to just do the first bit of your pressing right and and just, you know, go with it. I think that will be an interesting sort of option to see. We saw Kukureya at right back. A lot of us did not predict that. So yeah. I think if there's a if there's a ace that he has to pull out of his sleeve, maybe that's something that that could be there. But I, I do expect Raheem Sterling to start. I think I think you would agree. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the other thing that he's going to benefit from is he will likely be better at the like the first ball retention from playing in that central forward role. Whereas Mikhailo Mudrik, there have been times where we've seen him and his ability, his desire to have the ball at his feet necessarily at some times versus getting the ball in motion or being able to hold the ball down and then play it off to somebody else. It feels like Sterling is just a little bit more comfortable with that element of his game, at least at this point in his career, not saying that Mikhail Mujer can't get there, but that Sterling is ready to do that and able to do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously the added benefit that Raheem Sterling has played there uh, for us as well as he's played there for Manchester City. He's played a similar role. I remember like when we were signing Sterling, I think it was against Burnley in the cup where he played and I think he got two or or a hat-trick uh, from centre-forward. So he does know tactically how it works. He's excellent at pressing. He knows in terms of work rate what he needs to do. He's also not bad in terms of like if you give the ball anywhere close to his stomach level to his to his knees he's also good at like hold up play yeah. so he's he's got loads of experience and and sort of like technical tactical aspects over misha so i would say go safe play play mudrik on the left and then um, go with sterling at center forward i think that just makes too much sense any other thing that i i did see some people questioning about like what the combination of midfielders is going to be particularly with some of the injuries still playing a role and who will and won't be available for Pochettino. The question I saw was just maybe around the fact that Enzo had a very anonymous performance in the midweek fixture, whereas, you know, people are looking for kind of the, the highest levels of performance, particularly in the Premier League. I think the question was around, would Enzo get a full 90 minutes to me, it's maybe not necessarily that does he get a full 90 because you also should be comfortable taking a player out and putting someone else back onto the pitch to give you maybe the stability. Maybe it's something like Ugo Chukwu comes in in the last 20 minutes if we are in a good position, hopefully, to allow an individual like Enzo to rest if it's a level of fitness. But what have you seen in Enzo's last couple of performances around like where is he at from a contribution standpoint and maybe even like a fitness standpoint? So interestingly, I was having a debate regarding this with a couple of friends and uh, when I was looking at the numbers before he went to the international break he was I think one of the top 20 in terms of shot creators in Europe's top five leagues so he had 11 in his first four so almost about three a game where he was doing supremely well obviously two of those games he played in central midfield in his normal position and two he played as the number 10 so he was creating well. I would say that he's also shown that he's taken 100 plus touches in both the roles, further up front and also behind. So I don't necessarily think it's a it's a role kind of thing. I don't think that it's going to change if you pull him back a little. You allow him to exert a little more influence, but I can see why Pochettino is playing him in that advanced position. You're getting some kind of uh, a different characteristic from him. We're seeing box runs that we haven't seen before. It will probably take him a little more time to acclimatize to what needs to be done tactically, but he is definitely putting in the effort and he's pulling out the numbers as well. So I would say, I think it's because of the international break where he had to go to Bolivia, uh, which is a brutal place to go. 
uh, when you're playing at La Paz uh, at that altitude and, and then you come back, it's, I mean, I've seen Brazilian players go there, put on oxygen masks, struggle to sort of play after after 45 minutes. It's generally like wipes the stamina out of you. So physically, I think exertion-wise, he's come back far worse than Caicedo. And he should have been rested on that first game. I think McAllister came back from that Argentinian duty and he was taken off by Klopp at, at halftime because of his horrible performance in that game after. And Enzo just said, I need to play. And I think that sort of hurt him. And uh, after that, he just looked physically a little, uh, meh, I would say like, it's not been Enzo, uh, you know, with potch added steroids. It hasn't been him. It just looks like he's again a half a yard off. Looked like the the Enzo Fernandez we got uh, in the beginning of, of his you know, first few games under Graham Porter. So I would say just um, maybe needs to recover himself a bit physically. I don't think the role is an issue. I think he can play there. But it'll be interesting to see whether he goes back to Caicedo with the partnership that was promised, like you said, or does he start at number 10 and and sort of reprise his, his more consistent role? Well, that is... I mean, an interesting line of thought, like again, in the comments, let us know what you think. Is Enzo going to get a full 90 minutes or does he end up getting a little bit of an early hook to give him an opportunity to rest and recover and be ready for other games that Chelsea have to play and win as well. But look, we're going to take our last ad break and we're going to come back with our predictions. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, Sam. So we talked a little bit around it, but now we're going to put at least our thoughts on the line here as it relates to what that predicted 11 looks like. And we do want to put the caveat out there that we know that Ben Chilwell hamstring is unfortunately in a no bueno place and likely up to a month out at this point, which I guess is better than a longer period of time, but still not super great to have your captain and vice captain unavailable due to fitness concerns and for very, very similar issues. Yeah, our wingbacks need their wings back, to be honest. It just looks like they've been... <laughs> oh, I just had to get that out of my system. Thank you, Dad. I can only crack these jokes with you. I cannot do it anywhere else for the fear no, of being called. perfectly fine. Uh, we, we've lost all of our Red Bull uh, affiliation, so that's why their oh, wings yeah. were clipped. <laughs> But yeah, I think um, what really surprised me was uh, obviously that the report came out that he's out for a month and then Poch said right in his conference, it looks it looks bad. So I don't know whether it's going to be a month or longer. Yeah. But what, what just really worries me is that not just the string of injuries, but he seems to have come back, you know, slightly struggling physically after each knock. So I hope it doesn't have a knock-on effect, like a ripple effect, and it just make, takes him longer to come back to full speed. Um, but all the best to him, and he's a fantastic player. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to see him back at at his position and in whichever role that Poch wants him to play. So hopefully, uh, we can get him back. But if you if you t- talk about like predicted 11s, I would. Uh, I mean, Sanchez is definitely the the guy who's going to be there in between the sticks. <clears throat> I would say Desasi starts at right back. Uh, you've got Thiago Silva and uh, Levi Colville as as two centre backs. And after Kukurea put in a good second half performance, a really, really good second half performance, I, I do think he will get the nod at uh, at left back. So he'll be there. Uh, I, I would say Enzo and Caicedo maybe uh, as the two in midfield and then Palmer, Gallagher, Mudrik as the three behind Raheem Sterling. What about you? So 
I actually, we were talking about this in our episode recapping the match against Brighton. It felt like knowing that DSOC it you know could transition into the right back capacity. Silva likely comes back off of rest. You don't necessarily have Benoit Battier's shield up and running yet. That this back four effectively, unless you thought Motson was going to be the left back consideration when he played right wing in the most recent match, um, this felt like what we should have been expecting and would likely expect on Monday. So I am uh, in alignment with you there. I think the combination of an Enzo Caicedo Gallagher midfield pairing makes a lot of sense as well, uh, or midfield grouping rather, because it's three, not two. And then how Palmer, Mudrick, and Sterling operate with one another, whether it's a firm Sterling centrally or some type of amorphous attacking blob where they rotate in with one another. That could be something that I think we see. The The biggest concern point I have on this is probably the kukurea Mudrik side of this pairing. Um, and that will put whomever, whether it's Gallagher, Caicedo, or Enzo under a little bit more pressure to be, I think, evol- involved and not allow for dispossession or retention issues. So, like, I think those are probably where my concerns lie with, like, this lineup. Otherwise, I feel like this is likely the best one that we've got going. Are you not worried about the the uproar of four centre-backs in that back four? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, we, we uh, it, these are interesting times at Chelsea. It's always the most interesting time, more so than the last most interesting time. And we're still mm-hmm. putting ourselves in a situation where we, we have to be adaptable. And I think... Look, rightly or wrongly, Pochettino seems to be very pragmatic about the lineups he's putting together and trying to manufacture a result. And this feels like the most naturally natural way to manufacture a result. I think people will be happy with Cole, uh, Cole Palmer starting. I think they'll be happy with Mudrick getting more opportunity. I think there'll be people asking for Matawake, but at the same time, like Matawake has not played. Mudrick has played. Palmer has played. Gallagher has played. Like you have to go with people who are conditioned and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Martin's played as well. So, I mean, he, despite his contract issues and, and everything that's been reported in the past week, I think he might get a chance over over Noni. So, um, he's also played on the right-hand side. So, it'll be interesting to see where he plays. But it'll my my number one sort of question will be, does Poch now look at Enzo and, and Gallagher's roles and say, I'm going to switch them up. You know, I'm going to bring Enzo back and I'm going to push Gallagher at number 10. Um, I mean, Gallagher sort of like in between lines in a lot of pressure. He has improved to his credit. But again, can he get the amount of, um, you know, goal splitting passes and then making basically the magic happen at that role? Debatable. But he definitely makes our press better. He definitely makes attacking from the front a treat to watch compared to, to say, maybe an Enzo going there. Enzo does a good job as well. and but But his creativity, the amount of shots he's created... Um, should have had a couple of goals. I think he's missed now. I think two big chances, one or two big chances, should have had a couple of goals and a penalty. So, um, yeah, I think that'll be the interesting question then. Does, he, does Pochettino now say it's like, you know, time to sort of switch those two guys? Or or now that we have Cole Palmer, who's arguably our best in-between lines player, maybe just like persist with what we have and, and see how it goes? Well, we played this game last time. So now we've got a starting lineup going that if someone were going to score their first goal for Chelsea this season, 
who would it be? We know that Raheem Sterling in the Premier League has two goals. Axel Di Sassi has one. Nico Jackson has one. And Karin Chekwameka has one. Um, a couple of those will not be featuring in this match. So it's up to Raheem Sterling or someone else. Uh, maybe Di Sassi wants to get his second. But who would be that individual that you would put uh, fictional dollars or fictional pounds or fictional, fictional currency on to go out and score their first goal of the season? In the Premier League, yeah, I think um, at the risk of repeating myself again, like if if I'm going against a side that has just won about fifty one percent of their aerial duels, um, I would go for one of the centre backs. Silva has been pretty good in the air, so I would say like him or Colville, you know, one of those two guys maybe getting their first goals of the season. But if I had to go for maybe a trump card, then I would say Palmer might have a good chance. You know, he maybe. I mean, he looks high on confidence. Uh, the kind of assist that he pulled out. He even had a shot from like 30 yards when Mudrik was running ahead of him. So good shooter. We haven't seen a lot of that, but maybe this yeah. midweek performance is just what he needs to sort of like unleash a couple of those belters from distance. So hopefully you'll get to see one of those. Yeah, I think the interesting thing on that is you're looking at Palmer most likely to be the individual who can net a result. Um, you know, He has a 0.4 XG on less kind of total minutes and total contribution relative to uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, who's at point one. So I, I think Palmer is the right choice too. And like, so if you think about it as well, score prediction. So what is a predicted score for you for this match? Mm, I would go probably like um, a 1-0 or a 2-0, but I'd probably say like, I'll go a little generous and say 2-0. So 2-0 for us. I think I am just going to be cautious in the fact and not oversell where Chelsea's goal scoring ability is at at the moment. As much as I would love it to be the two nil that you are predicting, I'm going to go and try to keep it as positive as possible and say that a one nil victory would be something to celebrate just in the fact that we'd be celebrating back to back wins in the span of five days, which is almost unheard of at this point in Chelsea's lifespan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're channeling Mourinho's ghost from the first uh, spell, I think. Just 1-0, one 1-0, nil, one nil, one nil. This is football heritage, I think. That, that's <laughs> going to be, that's going to be. I think, the the theme. I, I At this point, I think we'll take a 1-0. You know, I, I, we're just that desperate. And, and we've deserved the points. I think uh, a lot of people are getting bogged down by the fact that it hasn't happened for us. Yeah. But um, I just think, like, it needs one result, one really good result for us to just flip those numbers on their head and, and just go for it. I remember when when Poch took over, that result was, I think, a 4-1 win against Manchester City, which no one was expecting. And after that, they just went on a nice little run where they looked full of confidence. They looked like they were expressing themselves physically. So I'm I'm hoping that result comes soon. And uh, this would be a good time to start. Um, so hopefully uh, we get to do that to our neighbors. Well, let us know in the comments. Tweet at us. Send us Instagram DMs. Let us know what you think the result is going to be against Fulham on Monday. But our predictions are out there. So hopefully you'll make yours public as well. So we can all be on the record when Chelsea, fingers crossed, get some football heritage going and win one nothing at minimum against Fulham on Monday evening. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again, Sam, so much. Thank you to our wonderful listeners for supporting us. Don't forget... Vote for us in the Football Content Awards. Make sure that we paint that thing blue as hopefully we help lift a trophy of our own this season. But until next time, Chelsea supporters, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.